0: As we continue our series this month, picking up this morning at verse 13, read from 13 all the way to the end, this is the word of the Lord. For you formed my inward parts, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they would be more than the sand. I wake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Father, I ask this morning that what, Lord, what we know not that you would teach us, Father, that what we have not you would give us by the power of your spirit and by the power of your word, that we, what we are not, Lord, that you would make us. That's my simple prayer this morning. I ask this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of the message is this, God Above All our all creative God. Our all creative God. And if you if you've been with us for a minute, maybe last Sunday too, you, you'll recognize that name, that little phrase there at the very beginning. God above all. That's the theme that we're hanging our hats on this whole month, maybe except for next Sunday, because we're going to move into Nehemiah. But as y'all know, I don't always I don't always go according to plan. So we'll see what we hit next week. But God above all is this theme, and that's what we find is a major theme in Psalm 139. And particularly here in verses 13 through 18 this morning, we see our all-creative God. And so I invite you to look at this passage with me this morning. But as I was thinking about this, you know, we've, as we've gone through Psalm 139, at the very beginning of the first six verses, we see that God is all-seeing, that He's om- omniscient. He's all-knowing next few verses, we see that he's all-present, that he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. And then we see here that he is creator God. And so what the psalmist seems to be doing is he's describing who it is that he worships. And the Psalter, as we call it, that's what all of the psalms are together. You want to use a little $2 word to impress your friends? That's what this is. It is a book that tells us of who God is. It is a book of the worship of God. As I was thinking about this this past week, our all-creative God, I used this illustration a little bit last Sunday, but I can't help but use it again because I just love the outdoors. I love going to East Tennessee at least once a year, finding some mountains to hike along, go up to the top of them, and as last week, I mentioned that there's, an, there's a beautiful quiet at the top of those mountains that at least I haven't found anywhere else. And it's not that God is more present there. It's that I'm farther away from everything else, and I seem to notice it more. But whether you're at the top of the mountain or you're here in the bottomland in West Tennessee, you can find his all-creative power everywhere. I mean, just think for a moment how amazing it is. I need not get ahead of myself, but how amazing it is that God has created a sun that gives us light. Not too much, but just as much as we need. He not only has created a light for the day, but he's created a light for the night that comes and goes on a monthly basis. And not only that, but that's not the only two things that rotate around in space, but there's all these other planets. And we haven't even gotten to what's all on this earth yet. And when he created these things, what he did, he didn't do like we do. we, we get some clay together, we can form something. I don't know about y'all, but I love to play with play when I was a kid. Put Legos together and all that fun stuff. We have to gather things in order to put things together. He speaks and they come into being. Can they come into existence. There is no other God like him. I See, it's amazing because uh, this, as I go through this psalm, it seems to be quite an evangelistic psalm. It may not seem like it at first, but if we don't get the God that we worship right, we won't get the gospel right. If we don't get the gospel right, how can we tell others about it? So the question I want to ask you as we start this morning, though, is this, is what God is it that you worship? Is it a God of your own making or is it a God, the God of the Bible? It's very easy to tack on the name God, big G, little O, little D, and say, yes, it is the God of the Bible, but all the while, he's a caricature of our own making. We have to go back to what the Bible says of who he is. And so Psalm 139 testifies that God, the God of the Bible, is the God of all immensity. He's beyond you, he's beyond me. And that's a comfort to us, but can also be a bit nerve wracking for us, too, as it should be. So, what then does David actually say that he is? I have a few, at least three points for you this morning. We'll start off with this one. We take a look at verses 13 and 15 in particular here. We see that God is your wonderful creator. God is your wonderful creator. Look at verse 13. He says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. 14, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. No, it's, it can't be hidden from God because he is the one that made it. He says, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing that the psalmist is painting here. And remember what it is that we're reading. We're not reading a narrative story here. We're not reading Revelation. We're not reading these things. We're actually reading a song, which is, in other words, a song, poetry. And what the psalmist does is he paints this vivid picture of all us almost being hidden away from everything else. And all that is there is God and his all-creative ability. In Sunday's past, when we were looking at that he is all-seeing, that he's all-knowing, and he's all-present, we made the point that he doesn't just see things as though he sees this, and then he has to look away and see over here, and then he has to look away and see over here. His full presence is with us at all times wherever we are. Now, how that is possible, well, we're not God. But not only is his full presence and his full knowledge present wherever we are, and we have full access to it immediately in Christ. But it's also true that when he made us, he was entirely there just making us. That's how intricately woven together you are. The Latin Vulgate, which is the Latin translation of the Old Testament, puts it this way. It was translated, I am painted as with a needle. I don't know if any of you are artsy in here. You tried your hand at painting. Usually you don't go for a needle, do you? No, you go for a brush, especially if you're trying to cover a wall. Go for a big brush, maybe even a roller, right? But with a needle, how detailed is that? It's beyond the detail that we can even comprehend. As he says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully. No, he doesn't say this saying, man, I'm reading this, I'm awesome. <laughs> That's not how the psalmist is reading this. He's actually amazed because he realizes what he is and then he looks at what God did. And he, he says earlier in this passage, or in Psalm 139, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I cannot attain it. This is absolutely amazing, beyond what I could even understand or comprehend. But see, what creation does, well, let's start out, out here and then go farther into who we are. All of creation yells at you, God made me. I remember having a conversation, and y'all have heard me mention this before. I haven't mentioned these conversations in a while, but conversation with my barber, talking about whether God is real or not and who God is, right? I was telling them oh, there's bushes outside of, of the shop. I was telling them, look out there. Where did those come from? How did they be? So they just are. I said, no, you don't understand. They aren't unless someone made them be. Still, and that's what sin does, is it blocks our eyes to the reality around us. But if you take simply the leaf of a tree, and I don't remember biology very well, that was never my strong suit, of just how that one leaf functions on a regular basis. And it doesn't just function, think about this for a moment, it doesn't just function in and of itself, but it's connected to all these other things. And there's all the rest of these leaves operating the same way on this tree. And not, not only does it just simply function there, but it functions in relation to the seasons of the earth, which functions in relation to the sun, which functions in relation to the moon, which functions in relation to our entire solar system. All tied together, working perfectly. That's the immense power of our all-creative God. And so just as all of creation yells at you, God made me, so does your very body and being do the same thing. We spoke of mountains earlier God didn't just make the mountains and he wrinkled up the land so that its parts would be higher than the others and there would be valleys and these peaks. As you look upon them, you could see the clouds dipping down into the valleys, this beauty that we recognize immediately as beauty and coming from somewhere. That same kind of power and creativity is in you. I heard a preacher say this past week as I was looking at some things that you could get multiple PhDs on just how your fingernail functions. We are so intricately woven together. It is absolutely mind-boggling. And we could spend forever talking about how how we function, our bodies function together. All the organs, the the, the skin cells reproducing themselves and everything, how we fight off viruses and all these things, how our brain works, which as it stands right now, scientists don't even completely understand. But he hasn't just woven those things together. He has woven your heart together, who you are on this earth. Through the world even that he has made. Now, it's amazing for something to be miraculous. The rising from the dead is miraculous. But it's also amazing for God to work through the things he has made to operate on a regular basis and accomplish his purpose. I was speaking with my parents this past week. Uh, there was a friend of mine who I, who I see sometimes at the gym who uh, just had a baby. He's a chunker man. Huge kid. Fantastic. As I saw him, I, as I, I wondered, how, how, how big was I? Because you don't remember those things when you're born. That's not the way the Lord made it. Praise Praise the Lord. This kid, his kid was maybe, I think, 10 pounds or something like that. Or maybe eight pounds. Maybe eight pounds. Sorry, y'all. I was four pounds and 11 ounces. Little bitty sucker. Still a little bitty sucker, right? But God used that, the reality of me having to basically come into this world fighting. Now, it may seem like it on the outside, it um, rather a reserved kind of individual, and this isn't about me, I'm just trying to make a point. I'm always looking for a cause to fight somewhere, not to fight with people. I don't want to do that. But I would have loved to live in the revolutionary war era. I would have been right there at the front. I love that. That's the way God has made me. Now take that, I'm just using myself as an example because I know that about me. Now take that for every single one of you. He has made you that way. From birth, before birth, to now, orchestrated things to shape you according to his purpose. And if you don't believe me, just remember what we looked at in Ephesians chapter 2. His works are planned for you. He's not going, well, I wonder what's going to happen. I don't know if what there's... No, he knows exactly what is going to happen in your life. From beginning to end. Now, if that's not enough, consider this, that he knit Christ. He knit Christ in the womb that he might have a body and die for you. That's purpose. We see how much it matters if we get who God is right. So, yeah, Jesus loves me, came to the earth. Yeah, but how did it happen? It happened because God is God. That's why. So God is your wonderful creator, but he's not just your wonderful creator. He's also your sovereign sustainer. Verse 16, the psalmist says, your eyes saw my unformed substance, which almost doesn't make sense when you read this, right? What do you mean? I mean, you, When you go to lunch today, you're going to say, my eyes saw my unpresented food, right? That What is going on here? Only God could say something like that. Something yet unformed, and yet he already knows what it is going to be because he's the one that sovereignly makes it happen. And so he says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book are written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when he's yet there was none of them. God doesn't just create and step back and let things go however they might go. He creates, and he's there, all of him, the whole way. Every single day. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Testifying, the Bible is, to, that he has not left you after he has made you. Ephesians 2.10, For we, as I mentioned earlier, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, if God is not sovereign, then all he ends up being is a clockmaker that made the watch and stepped away to let it keep on ticking. What he does is, as we even saw testify to this morning in baptism, is that he makes, he watches, he guides, his Holy Spirit works, and he brings his children to him. This is all the immensity of who God is. And so what this does, if you notice, we haven't even gotten to what do we do with this then? At the very end, the psalmist says something about that, but what we ought to do with this when we see that God is your wonderful creator, that God is your sovereign sustainer, is not go, how special I am. is go, how is it that he who's done all this care so particularly for me. All I know to do is worship him. And that doesn't mean that you have to stand up and start waving your hands around and singing. If you want to do that, cool. We're going to sing another song before we leave here today. But what worship actually is is a state of your heart. It's We complicate it, don't we? It's really as, as a child does. I remember the first time I did see the mountains. If we want to go back to that as a child. And it wasn't... It was what we would expect it to be. It was just, wow, looking. We ought not lose that child. We ought to be saying that in our hearts before God. So not only is he your wonderful creator, he is your sovereign, sustainer. So maybe this morning you feel as though he has left you. I'm here to tell you, according to the Bible, he has not. So why is that, JP? Because he can't. Why can't he? Because he, he is love. It's not in him to do that. Sin is in us, in order, and because of sin, we leave certain responsibilities here and there. We, we, we offend, we do this, we do that. It is not in God to do that. This is what I mean when I said before that sometimes we think of God just more than we are, bigger than we are. And what we end up doing is thinking that, well, he just has more good than we have. No, he doesn't have more good than we have. He is good. Literally, he is the good. That's where it all starts from. And so praise God, he's our sovereign sustainer from verse 16. But not only that. If we consider these two things, we need to consider how we respond to them. Let's look at these verses again, 13, 15, and 16. For you form in inner parts, just a quick review. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Here we see, and this is a strong argument for why abortion is such a terrible atrocity. That is a divine created human being there. And the thought, it, it see, God and, God and us are, are so far away in how we think, and he comes so close to us. It's not that it, we were intended on being, on being born, long before there was actually a conception, right? It's not that God went, oh, I guess I need to make sure this works out fine, when all of a sudden it starts happening. No, it was intended on long before You can go back way past the birth in the mind of God and see the days that are written out for us. So he knitted us together in our mother's womb. And just a quick side note, see, all the Bible testifies to lots of the crazy things, how they are very crazy today. He knitted me together in my mother's womb. Not only did he create how the world operates, but he also created man and woman to be man and woman to his glory. 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, this picture of this darkness just in the deep of the world that God has made. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book are written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. And so he says in verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. What does he start to do? Better yet, before we even get there, we need to ask, how, how is he responding? And however he is responding is how we need to respond ourselves. So what is our response to this all-creative, all-holy God? Let's back up and just think about some broad things for a moment. If, if we have to be reborn, then God must be the God. He has to be. If we have to be born again in order to be saved, He must be the God of all knowledge, all presence, all creativity, and all holiness. He can be no less than that. If he is all this, then we as sinners are desperate in our state. We're desperate to try to make him less than that in order for us to try to make ourselves more than just a sinner. In other words, what we end up saying sometimes is let's make God less than this. Let's make God less than what the Bible says so that I can have a better conscience about it. Things maybe that are in my heart. See, the thing is, you don't have to do that because Christ, by His grace, covers that. And when you make God less than who He is, you make grace less than what it is. When you make grace less than what it is, then ultimately, what's the reason for the cross? See, it all is connected back to who God is. But see, there's a couple different ways, I guess, to, to, to put the, how he responds together. He, he responds in praise and he responds in prayer here at the end. Now, as I say, they may say, well, i remember some things that didn't sound too nice here, to preacher and I, how does that work out? Well, we're going we're gonna to look at that. But well, first he responds in praise. Verse 14, we've read it over and over again. I praise you for I fearfully and wonderfully made. Again, I'll say this. When you look at how you are made, we don't go, man, I'm so awesome. We go, God, you are awesome. And he just says, I praise you. And you realize prayer can be as simple as that, y'all. I think sometimes we try to complicate prayer way beyond what it actually is. It is not complicated. And you don't have to find a particular holy place to do it because God is everywhere, right? So you can pray anytime, anywhere. So he praises here in this verse. He also does this in verse 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts. He's talking to God. Not talking back to God like we talk back to our parents. That's That's not it at all. He's talking back to God about what God has done. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. He's saying what he's thinking right here. I awake, and I'm still with you. It's as though he's saying this. He's going, this is beyond what I can even comprehend. Is this a dream? And he wakes. No, this is real. This is who God is. I'm still here. And so we have praise, which is what we ought to do in response to this. And sometimes we simply need a reminder of this reality, right? I was sitting out here early morning this past week on the bench outside the church and I felt the cool breeze. I was like, praise the Lord. It's finally here. Something of it, at least. Of course, this week, it's supposed to get back to nearly 100. Praise in the middle of suffering, right? No, but that small thing, that small thing, is that not worthy of praise? Do we have to wait Till things accumulate, and we actually say, okay, thanks, God. Why would we do that? And again, I go back to the kid analogy, so to speak, and kids in the room, I'm praising you at the moment. We need to go back to that and say, isn't it amazing how, how kids celebrate the small things? It's not just Christmas that they get excited, is it? And they see something going down the road you never saw, or maybe you're so used to seeing it. That you forgot it was there and that it's worth stopping and looking at again. Right. So praise, but also pray. And see, here's the thing. You have to do both. He does both here. How does he pray then? This is where it gets a little interesting. Verse 19 and on. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Hold up. What? What? Preacher, I I mean, isn't God all love? What's going on here? This is where we've lost part of who He is. God is all holy. He does not coddle wickedness. He judges it. Oh, that you would slay the wicked! Oh, God! Now, but notice the psalmist's perspective of this. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? Now, that doesn't mean the preacher's not saying, neither is is God's word saying you can go to work tomorrow and say, I loathe the enemies of God. I loathe you, and I loathe you, and I loathe you. that's That's not how that works, okay? But what you should loathe and pray against is evil. And that's what I think this tells us, that we should pray against evil. But see, we, we like to keep this and throw out the latter part, verses 23 and 24. We like to keep, yeah, evils. Evil's bad. We, I, don't, I don't want nothing to do with evil. Even says in 22, I hate them with complete hatred. I count them enemies. Then he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. No, let's hold up again. I don't want you doing that now, Lord. You might find some of what I was just talking about, right? The psalmist, though, is, is, it's as though he's saying this already realize, knowing that he is not perfectly righteous, but he's covered. See, when, when we forget that grace covers all sin, we lose our ability to actually pray against and despise the evil in the world. I hope that makes sense this morning so we should pray against evil but um, I'm not finished with this yet so y'all just hold on a second because we need to work something out here you hear a lot God loves the sinner but hates the sin now some of you may walk away saying I don't like this guy no more that's okay I don't think the Bible testifies to this and let me explain why. It would be convenient, it's a hard issue, it would be convenient to separate the two here, sin and the sinner. You see, but the sinner is already under God's judgment. What you look, what you find as you go across the scripture, there is no separation of the sin and the sinner. That's why, ironically enough, sinners are called Sinners. Because you see, the, that saying, now listen, that saying is a convenient way to get around sin, and it separates your good from your bad. In other words, when I say God loves a sinner but hates the sin, it provides me with an opportunity to say, look at how much good I have, it's more than the bad I have. If you don't believe me, just do a little heart checkup this afternoon and think about it. See, here's the problem. Even if you do that, guess what? All your bad is still yours. And all that good is still God's. So separating doesn't work, does it? That's not enough. That's why you need Jesus. That's where he comes in. See, all the Bible points to Christ. The amazing truth is that God hates sin will judge sinners and still sent his son to save them. That is what's amazing. And we try to parse out and separate out our good from our bad, we actually make less of the amazing thing it is that Christ's sacrifice covered every last dark part of our hearts. Why would we want to make less of the gospel and less of God? So, what does it mean we should do? It means we should pray for God to search our hearts. As he says here Search me, O God, and know my heart. And it's not that he already doesn't, it, it's that we acknowledge that he does. Try me and know my thoughts, which is a hard thing to pray. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is a hard thing to do. It's a really hard thing to do is basically say, God, throw me in the furnace and melt the dross away because I want you to make gold out of this heart. Now here's the thing. He will do that whether you acknowledge it or not. Because we fool ourselves into thinking that he is not the God of Psalm 139 and that if we don't want him to search out our hearts and he's not going to, we can hide it away where he can't see it. The only options you have if this is who God is is us to either acknowledge that it is who God is or us to deceive ourselves that it's not. Because whether you like it or not, he sees the depth of who you are Because he made you. He is the only one that knows you as well as you can be known. Even you don't know you that well. And if he is that one that is that, then why would we try to hide from it? In other words, let him in all the way. And as you fall, remember and preach to yourself, he hasn't left. He's still here. He's picking me back up, even now. So pray for God to search your heart. He's dealing with you whether you want to deal with Him or not. Now, what this means for us that we ought to do, if you don't take anything else, is this that we ought to worship the God above all. So let's do that. I pray we will. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the reminder of who you are according to your word. And for the chance that we have this morning to slow down and consider these things. And I pray that Lord, we would be sincere and ask you to search out our hearts, every single one of us here. And Father, that when we when we find more than we wanted to in our, even in ourselves, more darkness, more heartache, more despair that we would remember that you are the God that goes before us and behind us and lays your hand upon us, that you are the good shepherd, that you never leave us nor forsake us. May we be open and honest with ourselves because you know all things already, Lord. And may we seek to follow you and ask this in your son's name. Amen.